Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aidan Byrne. My guest is the wonderful Pauline Grimes, who lives in Cambridge in eastern upstate New York. She's a retired nurse with 13 grandchildren and a fascinating backstory. Pauline Grimes and her mom and Pauline's siblings modelled for the late Norman Rockwell, the famous American artist. It was exciting for my mother because she knew Norman Rockwell. Everyone knew the name. And we're little children. I'm five years old. And I just knew him as a nice man. A very nice, I have good memories, fond memories of him. Didn't really know that he was famous as children. And so uh, my mother, it was a big, be- it was a beautiful day for her that her children were able to model. And she modeled as well as an Indian papoose, an in- Indian lady. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political, and social upheaval, life on planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope for our existential crisis. I hope you're all well. We'll hear more from Pauline Grimes in a wee moment. Her full story is part of a new book which will be coming out. It's titled... Call Me Norman, the backstories of Norman Rockwell's beloved models. The author is S.T. Haggerty. You heard him last week in my episode with Jarvis Rockwell, son of Norman Rockwell. And here's a short clip. The head process he went through. First, he did a he did a sketch on a piece of typewriter, a pattern typewriter paper. Then he tried to figure out uh, who he was going to use in it, and and uh, then he'd have Gene Pelham come over and do and do photographs. Then he take the photographs and put them in a bellopticon, which blew the photographs up 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 on on a on a piece of architect's detail paper, and he would and he would trace around where the photographs would be on on this on this paper, and then when we got those all done, then he would take the the. Uh, the piece of architect architect detail paper was on a, was on a drawing board and take it into the put it on his on his uh, easel and then he would do a scary careful charcoal drawing of the whole of the whole thing and then he would photograph that and he would have that photographed and then he would then he would blow that up on the canvas in in the and and uh, and trace that on and then he would take that in and, and then and then call me Norman because okay, okay, okay. he told everybody whether they were little kids oh, yeah, yeah. or adults. They'd say, hi, Mr. Rockwell, and he'd say, call me Norman to everybody. <laughs> so in other uh, words, he was a very down-to-earth individual. He felt it made people feel more comfortable. Than- Pauline Grimes, or Pauline Adams Grimes, to give you her maiden name, is my guest in a wee moment. She posed for Norman Rockwell with her mom and siblings. Their memory is especially immortalized in Rockwell's we the people's picture and pauline will tell us more about their experience pauline did not have much growing up by way of material goods but her outlook and optimism and what keeps her strong is inspiring her memories of norman rockwell is a rare insight into this famous painter there will be lots and lots more in st haggerty's Call me Norman, the backstories of Norman Rockwell's models. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. 
joy is that special quality that makes one healthier, wealthier and wiser. But a joyful outlook is a tough thing to muster in the post-pandemic age of economic decline and social unrest. Fortunately, a new book is bringing hope and timely, actionable advice people can use to better their lives in the post-COVID era. From the ambassador of joy, Barry Shore comes the joy of living, how to slay stress and be happy. Part workbook, part bullet journal, part memoir, this book serves as an inspirational guide to happiness and self-improvement in a time of unease and misgiving. Author Barry Shore shares his incredible story of perseverance after being afflicted with a crippling disease that left him completely paralysed overnight. Rather than wallow in self-pity, Shore instead chose to better his life and the lives of others, discovering the joy of living regardless of circumstances. In The Joy of Living, How to Slay Stress and Be Happy, Shaw reveals 11 unusual yet practical strategies for finding peace and happiness each day. The Joy of Living, How to Slay Stress and Be Happy has been released. To order The Joy of Living, How to Slay Stress and Be Happy, go to barryshore.com forward slash book. That's B-A-R-R-Y-S-H-O-R-E dot com forward slash book. Barryshore dot com forward slash book. Sherlock, it's grand to have you back. I spend a lot of time in the garage but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. My guest is Pauline Grimes, who modeled for Norman Rockwell, the legendary American artist... I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Hey, Pauline, great to have you on my show. I woke up this morning and the snow was outside in the woods. I looked through the kitchen window and I saw this beautiful landscape and I was immediately reminded of Norman Rockwell. I was said to myself, hey, that was a great Norman Rockwell landscape experience. He, they were the kind of portraits and images and pictures that he put on canvas. Yes, yes. He has had some remarkable ones, and they're, they're all icons. He's part of the American experience. Yes, you were a model for Norman Rockwell. Tell us all about that. It's a fascinating backstory that Steve Haggerty has caught and 
written about in his book, which will be soon published? Yes. Well, we, um, my dad left us when we were little, and uh, my mom uh, had has five children. And in the evening, she would gather us around, and we would sing Negro spirituals. And we would, she would hire a taxi and take us all over, and to sing to people. And one of the people that we sang for was Grandma Moses. We went down and we sang Negro spirituals to her. And I remember her hair was all done up in a little twist on top of her head and the high blouse, high, high beautiful lace coming up to her neck. So graceful and so, so kind. And, and uh, we sang for her and she clapped her hands and she said, beautiful. She thanked us so much for coming down. And it was soon after that, that my mother got a call from Norman Rockwell and uh, he invited us up to his studio in Arlington um, to uh, model for him. And he wanted to know if my mother would, would bring us up, if it would be okay if we could model for him. And she said, yes, she would love to. And so because my mom didn't drive, uh, we hired, she hired a taxi and he took us from Cambridge to Arlington, Vermont about 17 miles, and Norman paid the car fare, and Mr. Butler, uh, our taxi driver's name was Mr. Butler, he paid the fare, and so we went up, uh, he was looking for, he had spoken to Grandma Moses before we even came, he was looking for a black family to model in the painting, The United Nations, and uh, he didn't really know anyone uh, from being in Arlington, he didn't really know of any families, and when she found, when we came to sing for her, she connected, put the dots together, and she told Norman about her family, and he gave us that call on that beautiful day. And we went up, it was snowing, it was uh, in the wintertime, it was my, my two brothers and myself and my sister. And we went up, and um, we were all dressed up in our Sunday best, and for my two brothers, they were stripped right down to a towel, bare-chested towel around their loins. And I had a little Sunday school dress on, and I was put in my, I um, was in my slip. So, <laughs> so uh, we modeled. My mother modeled, too, was an Indian lady. And uh, I remember him being so kind and so nice. We weren't afraid at all. And uh, I was a very shy girl. I usually would hide behind my mother's skirts all the time. And so uh, I wasn't afraid that day. I did look at his, uh, the guy that took the, the photos. He had a black hood over his head. And that was a little bit scary for me. But I got used to it. And uh, I believe his name was uh, Pelham. And uh, he was Norman Rockwell's photographer. And so we, we modeled. We were there. And, um, you know, my brothers did a good job posing and, uh, he was very good, very accurate how he wanted our eyes, our expression, uh, how we're to stand. Uh, everything had a reason. And he went very slow and he just showed us exactly what to do and we did it. And I, that's why I love Norman Rockwell because the expression of, you can tell every painting by the expression on people's faces. You can tell what they're feeling at the time, what they're going through the excitement, the disappointment, the fear, the happiness, 
all through expression. So this was We the People, that portrait. And this was, yes, back then it was called the United Nations, which is now it's called We the Peoples, plural. There was a name change. Yes. And uh, we model for that um, in 1952. It was never published, never painted, because uh, one of the ambassadors of the United Nations, uh, his time was had expired, it was up, and so uh, it wasn't current. And uh, Norman Rockwell decided not to paint it because one of the ambassadors time was served and he was done. And so he put it in the, he put it away for years. 1952, we, he, he drew that on charcoal and uh, he put it on corkboard. And so it was glue on the back of the, the uh, charcoal drawing, glue on that, and then it was glue on the corkboard. And he joined them together and it was put away uh, since 1952 and brought out uh, the Golden Rule came out in 1961. He had uh, taken some of the models from the Golden Rule or from the, the uh, United Nations. He took some of the models from that and made the Golden Rule, which came out in 1961. We're a part of it, even though he didn't choose us because he had moved in 1953. He moved to Stockbridge, Massachusetts. He used another, uh, my brother and I were, you know, he used other models from Stockbridge. And everyone says it can't be, it can't be, it's you, it's a picture of you. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm gonna, I'm going to um, love that painting just like as if I was in it because we set the groundwork for that. We were in the United Nations and it was that same line. And so, we, you know, I, I love that one just as much as the United Nations. You were one of his models. How long were you in his studio? How long was that visit? In Vermont. Uh, I, yes, I, I would say uh, it had to have been probably an hour or more, about an hour or more, yes, because of his detail and his explanation and his kindness and gentleness. Uh, nothing was rushed or, you know, anything. It was just a beautiful afternoon. Rockwell was a big name in America back then, right? Yes. Were you overawed by it? I mean, you were certainly flattered, I'm sure. What was your reaction to be um, a model for this famous oh, artist. Yes. Well, that day it was very, you know, it was very, it was a special day. We got, we didn't have to go to school. We got to go for a ride uh, and we got $5 each. We were paid back. And um, it was a very special day. Uh, it was exciting for my mother because she knew Norman Rockwell. Everyone knew the name. And we're little children. I'm five years old, and I just knew him as a nice man. A very nice. I have good memories, fond memories of him. And uh, we didn't, we didn't uh, put, we didn't get the same. Uh, we just knew him as a nice man. We didn't really know that he was famous as children. And so uh, my mother, it was a big, it was a beautiful day for her that her children were able to model, and she modeled as well as an Indian papoose, an Indian lady. Yeah. So there's a lot of people in that United Nations, We the People, Norman Rockwell portraits. Are most of them still around? I'm sure they're up in years. Yes. Um, we have every year or every other year, we have a Norman Rockwell Models reunion. And there's a lot. You have a reunion? 
Yes, every every two years. We get together in Vermont. It's usually in a different place. Uh, a couple years ago, it was at the Norman Rockwell uh, Bed and Breakfast in Arlington, Vermont, behind the Covered Bridge. And, uh, of course, that's where his he lived there, and his uh, studio is there. And uh, we had a lovely time there, uh, looking, going into a studio, and, and many, many of us having lunch together. And then it was last, uh, not last year, but the year before, the Vermont models joined in with the Stockbridge models down in Stockbridge at the Stockbridge Museum. And we gathered there together. That was a ton of us. So, I mean, we're still here. I was five at mm -hmm. the time, uh, 1952. You can figure it out my age. If you can't figure it out, I won't tell you. <laughs> but I was five at the time. And so I'm going strong. Oh, you sure are. You I'm sure trying are. my best to look young. Yeah, well, you gave a fantastic interview to the New York Post in that big spread that yes. uh, was done on Norman and uh, Steve Haggerty's uh, forthcoming book. I just want to quote from it because you've had a history and uh, you've had a, an enchanted life, but it wasn't growing up the easiest of lives. But I sense you're a very optimistic person. So yeah. I'm glad we've had this opportunity. And I'd quote from it, we lived in Cambridge, New York, and my mom was a single mom who didn't drive and she couldn't afford to pay for a taxi to Arlington. Norman said, I would like to pay the cab fare for you. You just told us about that. Yeah. So Pauline and her four older siblings got to skip school and they arrived with their mom wearing their Sunday best, which you just, just described, which yeah. he had them change out of. He explained that he needed us to pretend we were little poor children. Yeah. I was a happy child, but we were very, very poor. And we went hungry many times and didn't have proper heat or clothing. So it wasn't very hard to pretend. Adams added that Rockwell sipped Coca-Cola. He's going into all that kind of details. So that's part of the story by, by Rachel Linares yes. at the New York Post. It's yes. superb. So you didn't have a lot growing up. No, we, we didn't. Uh, we had next to nothing. Mm. And uh, we would um, just go hungry a lot of times. You know, we were almost malnourished. And it came to the point where I was asking friends at school for their lunches. And uh, they gave them to me. Uh, mm. That was an act of God. Um, I had, I think my lunch was a crust of bread smeared with uh, potted meat, uh, where my mom had wiped out the can of the potted meat, and that was my sandwich. And I looked over, my, my um, classmate had a huge, lovely toasted cheese dripping with butter. <laughs> and I said, could, I, could we trade lunches? And uh, just so innocent. You know, it was just innocence, a child being hungry and just asking for the other person's lunch. And uh, she said, yes. And I guess it was a treat for her to have a potted meat. <laughs> I don't think she'd ever had it. And uh, she ate it and no questions asked. And it was the Lord's provision. On the way home, I would sit with um, my neighbor would, would want me to sit with her. And she was given a tuna fish sandwich every day. And she detested it, but she would get in trouble if she didn't finish it. And so I, uh, she fed it to me every day. 
And that was another meal that I had given to me from God. So we made, we made out. Uh, my brothers had a BB gun and they would shoot partridges and uh, all sorts of little things. I don't know what we were eating, but we would uh, they'd come back with all sorts of little things that would be our supper sometime. What got you through those times? Your mom was taking care of five and money was tight. Okay, uh, sp- uh, spiritually, uh, we, we knew God would look out for us. She was a spiritual woman and uh, she could quote the Bible and she could talk and um, she knew that God would, she prayed every night that God would, would help us. And uh, singing those Negro spirituals, we had church every night. That's what got her through. Uh, was there a church that you attended? Yes, it was a church we attended, Coyla Church in Cambridge, New York, Coyla Church. Um, it was mostly uh, white families, uh, just two or three black families in the whole community. And it's basically pretty much like that now. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. My guest is Pauline Grimes, who modelled for Norman Rockwell, the legendary American artist. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. What do you think of Norman Rockwell? Did he capture the essence of America and the life you knew and the life that America went through during those years? Back then, it was slow. Yes. Yeah, it was a, it was a slow life. Mm. Uh, not fast. Not mm. fast. Uh, for the Vermonters. And that's what he enjoyed because he came from uh, New York. And, uh, you know, he when he moved up here in 1939, he loved the uh, calmness, the peacefulness, uh, the average person. You know, no one really had money, but it was just the average uh, family. That's what he loved. Well, he calls on canvas the rural simplicity Mm-hmm. of those times yes is any of that left uh yes yes we um well we live out here in, in cambridge we're not in vermont but very very you know we're close very close and uh also in vermont um i still see people looking uh you know not um they're just average people uh just average just making it you know mm. but peacefulness there still is that left in some places yes because Norman didn't do portraits or images of uh, big city life. Right. Like, I don't recall any of the Empire State Building mm-hmm. or the Brooklyn Bridge. I have one in the background there. I don't know oh, if you can yes. see it, it's right? Skating, yeah. Yeah, right. And we have that um, in one of our corridors, and it's just perfect. When the snow comes and I go down to our nearby lake, if it's cold enough, it freezes over, of course, and you'll see some kids skiing on it. And I love that simplicity. Yeah. You know, it's not something you, you can't buy it in the stores. Right. Um, right. And, and he, he caught all that essence. Norman's memory is perpetuated everywhere. You go into diners, you oh, go into yeah. stores, 
Um, you go into people's homes, you see yeah. those portraits hanging. What do you think when you go into a diner today and you see Norman Rockwell all over? Oh, do, oh. do, you, do you say to them, hey, I'm in one of those? <laughs> I get so excited. It, it brings me, woo, it brings me right back to, to those loving, you know, the loving times. I'm a part of this. I'm a model. You know, Norman and I, you know, we, we talked. I was a child and and uh, it just brings me back, you know, to, to to the good times, some very good times, yes. Well, there's one that you must have a particular affection for, uh, saying grace. Yes. It's a beautiful picture of a grandmother and her grandson saying grace in a restaurant. And mm. yes, yes. Well, I'm sure we still see that sometimes today, but... I would be surprised, although, you know, I've been around long enough. If I went into a typical diner in New York City today and see everybody saying their grace before meals, have you ever seen it? Well, we do. Uh, my husband is a pastor and we raised five children and we, we always did say grace. We always will, uh, whether we're out, uh, what, you know, if we're out, if we're home or if we're out. We do bow our head and we say grace. And you don't see it a lot. You really don't see it a lot. When you look back at Norman and you look to the future of America, where we're headed, will he be relevant in another generation? Will he still be in the minds of the American people? Will he still be a towering, iconic figure in American life, Norman Rockwell? Yes, I think he would. Because he uh, not only did the now uh, of his paintings, but he looked into the future. And, um, you know, he, I think he would be relevant. When is your next reunion with the other models? Will that um, be impacted by COVID or is there a date set for us? We were supposed to meet last July. And because of COVID, that was canceled. But we are going to meet... Uh, this coming summer at the uh, Norman Rockwell Bed and Breakfast in Arlington. And uh, Stephen Haggerty has spoken to the new owners and uh, they are setting up things uh, right now for this summer. We will have a model's reunion. I wish we could bring Norman back and set him out there with his easel and doing scenes of American life today. I bet you he would find a lot of beautiful images. I think yeah. sometimes that we just see the negative images and we're impacted by words and language mm -hmm. and stuff that goes on our television screens. Yeah. And we don't see enough of the positive. Right. And there's got to be a lot of the positive. You know, yes. families having dinner together, kids out skiing, people sharing meals with their neighbours or, right. or doing chores for an yep. elderly lady down the street. There's still yep. a lot of that going on. Mm -hmm. Yes, there is. There is. And uh, uh, I, I think that uh, we need to bring our minds back to focus on some of those good things. Instead mm. of, uh, you know, there's just so much, there's a lot of negative things, you know, going on that we see on TV and, and everywhere. If we can focus on some good things, it's going to help us, you know, it's mm. going to help us. Do you have many Norman Rockwell pictures and portraits on your around your house, buried anywhere? I'm looking for a building. Uh, when I worked in Arlington, I worked at the Norman Rockwell exhibits for seven years in Arlington, Vermont. 
And I think most of my paychecks went for um, different paintings and things. And so I have a house full of paintings and know where to hang them. I do have, uh, they're not necessarily on the walls, but they're, oh, wow. I, don't, I don't know if you could see these. I can not. see these, yes. Uh, yes, this is my mother modeling okay. in Norman Rockwell's studio. Oh, your mom in the studio? Yes, in And this is my brother, my two Ooh. brothers. This is me, and this is my, um, yeah, that's me. That's there. A, just leave it. I can see it now. Just go back with the, go back slightly. Yeah, there's a layer on it. Yeah, I think the people watching this will make out. Just keep it at that distance because the life won't, yeah, over okay. there I can see perfect. Okay. This is me and my, my, my two brothers. I was just focusing on myself and my sister. Uh, this one is my brother, my two brothers, and me and my sister. I was five years old. You could see by our arms that we were uh, basically skin and bone, the children. You know, after we, our clothes were taken off, we were very, very skinny. This is the picture of when we were invited. They were celebrating their 70th United Nations uh, celebration for, of the United Nations. And uh, we were invited down uh, <clears throat> with a deputy. I have it written down now how to get his name right. Jan Elezan. Jan Elezan. He was a deputy, a deputy secretary for the United Nations. They were celebrating their 70th anniversary for the United Nations. And this is a picture of him here with some of my family members. This is me and my grandchildren. They're and striking image. They're great memories. Yes. And of course, this is the golden rule that uh, this came after the United Nations. They thought that this was me. I said, no, he took us out and put others in. And that was my brother, we thought. But they took us out of that. They used other models. Okay, well, you got into, um, you, ha you did get into one anyway, so that was a beautiful. But we did get into, um, this one is the. That's the United uh, Nations. That's a lot of models. Yes. This is me over here. Mm. This is my brother. I'm wondering about the technique. So you went up to the studio. There was a photograph taken as well? A photograph, yes. And then he integrated all the different models. Yeah. It was a long project. Yes, because it was just one family at a time. We didn't have all these people. We didn't all come together. It was just a by appointment. And uh, he would have the photographer take a picture of us. And uh, in New York City, when he first started out, he used live models. And it was an all-day thing, coming back every day, every day, every day. And he decided he couldn't do that. So then he decided to uh, take a photograph. And then it wouldn't tie up the model for weeks. And uh, that's what he used when he was in Vermont, uh, from a photograph. And just from meeting us and the poses and, and things like that, the pictures and things. So that We the People, the United Nations, is now in the United Nations building. It was, uh, it was on tour. And when we went down to the United Nations, we saw it. It was on tour, a beautiful display of the same picture. Uh, now it's, I would imagine, it's back at Stockbridge, because that's where they retrieved it from. Stockbridge, wow. from, the from the archives. And it, it was disintegrating. And so um, they had to take the, uh, send it away and take the glue by hand, scrape the glue off the charcoal uh, drawing, and then scrape and uh, scrape that cork board, all that off. 
and they had to send it away and it was put in a fluid because it was literally disintegrating. And if they hadn't have decided to celebrate the 70th uh, year for, for the United Nations, I think that this painting, this charcoal would be probably gone by now. But wow! It. So it's a, it's a miracle for us. We are so we are so proud to be in it. Proud that they saved it. And there's a special uh, movie that shows exactly what they had to do to save it. And I think if people went online, uh, they could find out. They could easily see that process. You're a bit of a celebrity like the other models because of having worked for Norman Rockwell yes. and you're a model. That must make you feel pretty good. Oh, yes. I, uh, I have a special coat. It's a coat of many colors. And when we have our celebration, I bring that out. It's beautiful colors. And I put on earrings and makeup and, and people can see me from all over. They just said, you're one of the models. And I said, <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> They can, they can spot me a mile away. Yeah, I'm very excited when I when I go to the reunions. I knew about Norman Rockwell all my life, and I didn't grow up in America. I grew up in Ireland, but I learned more about Norman when I came here because you see his pictures and portraits and all the, the United Nations, that big picture he did, uh, hanging everywhere, and they were on Christmas calendars, and, yeah. and I've grown very fond of what he's done. He sounds to me, because uh, we talk a lot today about unity, he sounds to me, in his own way, he was a uniter. He brought yes. people together. Yes, he did. Yes. Yeah, and that's a, um, he had a knack for that, a drive to bring people together. You know, he was just that kind of a person. And he devoted his whole life to doing that. His whole life, uh, he was... He would come out for meals, and and his whole life was basically spent in the, um, you know, in his little cabin there where he drew, you know, drew, drew his, did his work. Because he spent a lot of his artistic years in Vermont, and then he moved back. Moved to Stockbridge. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Having originally left New Rochelle, which was much That's too right. busy for him. Oh, yes. He didn't care for that. Yes. Yeah, he didn't like that mm -hmm. sort of frenzied urban kind of lifestyle and it was like, yeah. as it was described it was kind of an artsy community but he wanted out of there mm -hmm. so he found he found his haven in Vermont yeah. and then and then he moved back out of Vermont to Stockbridge Stockbridge mm -hmm. did you stay in touch with Norman through his life stay in touch with the family did you have that kind of synergy no that's uh, that's one thing that I regret uh, my mom, of course, didn't drive. Um, he did come uh, to our house that same year. Uh, I modeled in the Look magazine cover for him um, called How Goes the War on Poverty? And that was that was the second time. We, saw, we modeled for him twice. And this is me down here with my eyes. Can you see that? I, I back can it up? see it, yeah. How oh, Goes the War on Poverty? What year was that? That was uh, that came out, I believe, in 60, 61, something like that. Um, uh, it's a quote by Lyndon Johnson. It says, hope for the poor, achievement for yourself, greatness for your nation. And so he was, I think that's why he, he was attracted to us. He knew we were dirt poor and he mm. wanted to touch that mm. and he wanted to expose it and, you know, bring light to that to help people. That's what he was in business for. We don't want to get really political here, but have we dealt with the issue 
of poverty in America the correct way. We should take care of our neighbors. It's a Christian and, uh, and human instinct to help yeah. all of those who are marginalized. Yeah. But we seem to disagree as a nation and globally about how we go about that. Yeah. I mean, I've never heard anybody on the left or right saying, I want to leave people in poverty. They all yeah. want to get lift people up, but it's how we go about it seems right. to That's be right. where the debate yeah. begins. Yeah. And I think we have to start in our own neighborhood, you know, like... Um, that's the beginning, you know, uh, help those that we can. You know, we, we, we help with, uh, you know, bringing food to the food pantry and giving clothes, you know, whatever we can do to help, you know, encouraging people. Um, my husband and I had a, um, a youth group in Bennington in Vermont, and uh, we ministered to the little kids in the projects. And we did that for 10 years. And, um, we loved them. We told, you know, we played games with them, spent time with them, and it was a joy. And I think if everybody can do just some little thing, that's going to help. So it begins in the home and your neighborhood, and you can create this and it goes out. virtuous yeah. circle. You don't have to yeah. conquer the world. Just that's right. take care right. of your nearest and dearest Whatever and spread it out. Yes, that, that's how I feel. Yes. So, Pauline, we're going to wrap up here. Any abiding memories that you want to share with us about Norman, the legacy he left? And what, what is that legacy? What should we take away from Norman Rockwell's life and work? Well, he, um, he devoted his life to art, and uh, he was good at it. He stayed with it. He was persistent. Uh, it was his life, and I think we should just take away the love of art. Uh, he sent messages through his... He told a story with every picture. You could look at any picture, and you could, dis, you could see the story that he wanted us to see very clear out of each picture. And I love him so much. And, uh, and he brightens up my day, and I believe he brightens up the world. Amen to that, Pauline. Yes. Thank you. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973 664 9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.